1963, the world wounded itself again. There was a voice on the telephone that said, three minutes. Carolyn McKinstry was confused. She was a 15-year-old girl who had only come to the office in order to bring papers upstairs from the Sunday school class. She put the phone down, took 15 steps, and boom. When the smoke cleared, there were four dead girls buried in their Sunday school vest. Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, Addie Mae Collins, and Denise McNair, African-American girls. 1963, September 15th, Sunday, 10.22 a.m., 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. At church, four black girls murdered by four men associated with the Ku Klux Klan, four men who would for years be hiding in plain sight, and the case would not close until 2002. Hearts broken, walls blown. Where there had been glass, there was now empty space. And you could look from the pulpit across the empty congregation across the street and see a sign that said Liberty, storefront. Too much irony. The world wounded itself right where it was trying to heal. Several days later, another wound, 4,000 miles away, a wound in the heart of a Welsh man. John Petz picked up the phone in a little village on the coast. He uh, rang his friend, David Cole, who worked in the local newspaper, and he said, David, you heard the news from Alabama. Let's replace the window. John started staining glass. David started raising money on the front page of this little newspaper. He said, nobody can give more than half a crown which would be 15 cents for us. Because that way, this will be a gift from all of us. And children in Cardiff would line up and reach into their pockets and pull out their change, black and white alike. And in 1965, what we now call the Wales Window of Alabama was installed at the front of 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham. And it says at the bottom, which it's kind of clipped off here, uh, uh, given by the people of Wales. And here it is. It's absolutely beautiful. But the question I want to raise is why the cross? Why? Why give people who have been, and even to this day, are so wounded an image of suffering, an image of pain, an image of death. Why would you want an image like this? I know it's a church. Not all stained glass has crosses in it. 
Why, if you had been fire-hosed in the streets of your city, why, if you'd been subjected to Bull Connor's dogs, why would you want an image like this? Well, John Petz, the artist, describes this window, and he, he, he captions it with the caption, you did it to me. You can see that in the bottom, large letters. And he tells us that he got this phrase from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, where Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he describes this window that the, the right hand is uh, extending out against the powers of Satan that brought the Savior to the cross. The left hand is hold, held open to uh, invite the world to experience forgiveness. The face of the crucifix is a black face. The body, some have speculated, is bent, suggestive of a fire hose. But we also see that the body is glowing in a kind of transfiguration. You'll notice that the body is sort of lifting off the cross as though some unseen power is lifting him. This is an image of helplessness and victimization, but it's also an image of transformation and victory. And for Lent, this is going to be our icon. We'll be looking at different parts of the whale's window, exploring it together to see what it has to teach us about the cross of our Savior. And let's pray that the light of our Savior will shine through this image into our lives as well. Today, we're going to look at the face on the cross because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the, the knowledge of the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to know God, if you want to have deep, personal, and intimate communion with God, relationship with God, this is the place to look, into this face, the cross, to look at a crucified Messiah. The cross is not just the center of Christianity. The cross is, the Bible teaches us, the means by which God releases power into the world, the power of God. So let me read for us our text this morning uh, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. If you choose not to handle the Bible, that's fine. It's on page 926 of the Pew Bible, but you can just as easily navigate there on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'll read, and uh, when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you could say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just heard never will. We see God's face 
in a wounded Messiah. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. When he first came to Corinth in Greece to tell them about God, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he's saying is, this is the face of God, this face. In her battle with cancer, Susan Sontag wrote about the, what she calls the privileged status of the face, and that we most dread illnesses that deform the face. She writes about suffering that degrades. We don't want it in our faces. She points out that in European icons, the faces of martyrs oftentimes are untouched. Their bodies are slain, shot through with arrows and wounds, but their faces look heavenward in peace. And she says, but not Jesus. Christ suffers in the face. It's possible that this face was modeled off the Eastern Orthodox icon, which is titled and translated utmost humiliation, the, the uh, angle of the head tilting to the right and with the expression looks like this ancient icon, utmost humiliation. It's a face that's deformed by pain. This is a wounded Messiah. And yet, Paul says, it's in this face that we receive the knowledge of the glory of God. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He, he, what he's saying is Jesus the Messiah, a crucified Messiah. That's what he's saying. Crucified Messiah. Because that's, those are two words that should never go together. Those are two words that would have been impossible to have imagined even in the same sentence, let alone side by side, before this moment in history. Crucified Messiah. You can have a crucifixion, or you can have a Messiah, but the one thing you cannot have is a crucified Messiah. So again, why the cross? Have you ever thought about the meaning of the cross? It's so easy to forget. We put it on our necklaces, we put it on our... Uh, buildings, it becomes for us a symbol of love, uh, a symbol of religion, maybe even a single symbol of peace and well-being. Well, not for Paul. We just want to understand this. Paul, for Paul, it was a, he calls it a stumbling block. If you look at verse 23 of the prior chapter, chapter 1, he calls it a stumbling block. This is a stumbling block. The word he uses there is scandalon. That's the Greek word. It's the word we get our English word scandal from. It doesn't mean it's something that's hard to understand that you could just trip over and fall on. No, it's something that's obscene, something that's offensive, something that should be dismissed and rejected. That's what a stumbling block is. The cross of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is an absolute scandal. Fleming Rutledge, this author I'm telling you about, she writes, the cross of Jesus is an unrepeatable event that calls all religion into question. A PBS special a few years ago says, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central focus the suffering and degradation of its God. Degradation. The cross means degradation. This is the worst kind of wound in the body. It's perfected by the Romans. Invented, by the way, by the people who had Daniel in captivity, as we've just been studying. 
but perfected by the Romans for maximum suffering, torture, and degradation. As Joel Green describes it, executed publicly, situated at a major crossroads or on a well-trafficked artery, devoid of clothing, left to be eaten by birds and beasts, victims of crucifixion were subject to optimal, unmitigated, vicious ridicule. And it would take hours, oftentimes days, to die. Spoiling yourself, asphyxiating, as you can no longer raise yourself up on your wounds to draw breath. It's not only the worst kind of wound in the body, it's the worst kind of wound in the soul. For the Jew who reads Deuteronomy, they would know that anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse, somebody who had been stoned and then hung on the, a tree to be an example. They didn't, Jews didn't crucify, but they knew the shame of being hung dead on a tree as an example. This is a, this is a, a, a wound of judgment. This is a curse, Paul says. This is, this is the wound of somebody who's running from God, somebody who's been pushed beyond the reach of God, defiled. This is a sinner's death pushed into outer darkness. How could this be the face of God? Well, the scandal has been lost to us today. And in fact, the reason why Paul says that, that I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified is that he knows it's just human nature. We all want to look away. And, and we do the same thing uh, today. We look away. I was on an airplane uh, few years ago, and, and my strategy, and I'm an introvert, so immediately I pull out the book and I open it up. And we're all packed so tightly these days, otherwise conversation seems unavoidable. But I happened to notice over time that the woman, uh, on the, I was in the center, she was on the window seat, she was reading over my shoulder, and it was a book about Jesus. And I could tell she was interested and wanted to talk. And so we did, we talked about Jesus. And she, she said, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. And I find Jesus just fascinating. I admire his teachings. In many ways, I try to emulate his life. As the conversation went on, she said, but there is one thing about Jesus. She says, the cross. I don't have any room for the cross. She, she says, it's just too gory. There's just too much violence there. It's abusive. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think of the cross. And I have to say, she's not alone in there. One woman heard her pastor tell her one day that the preaching of the cross is not a good tool for church growth. <laughs> I don't know what's growing. And it's not happening much in the church today. H. Richard Niebuhr, the great theologian of the last century, indicts the modern church for its propensity to avoid the cross. He writes, a God without wrath brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And then he says, when this happens, we may have religiosity, we may have uplift, we may have spirituality, but we do not have Christianity. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and his, him crucified. So why the cross? Well, here's my answer. It's the wound of God that heals the world. That's what Paul's saying here, isn't it? He says, it's the power of God. This doesn't come from human ideas. He tells us he avoided lofty words or wisdom. And he's not disrespecting his education. By the way, the Apostle Paul was one of the most 
educated people in the ancient world. No, he uses every ounce of his education in proclaiming this. What he's saying, though, is that the power of God does not come from human ideas. It's not a discovery of the Greek philosophers. It's not a deliverance of Jewish scholarship. It's a scandal that breaks in through the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's powerful. It's the wound of God that heals the world. Again, Fleming Rutledge writes, the crucifixion is the touchstone of Christian authenticity, the unique feature by which everything else, including the resurrection, is given its true significance. It is the crucifixion that marks out Christianity as something definitively different in the history of religion. It's the crucifixion that the nature of God is truly revealed. Since the resurrection is God's mighty trans-historical yes, to the historically crucified son, we can assert that the crucifixion is the most important historical event that has ever happened, the cross of Christ. God wounds himself to heal the world. At the cross, sins are forgiven. At the cross, death is overcome. At the cross, Satan is defeated. At the cross, Slaves are set free. At the cross, evil is destroyed. At the cross, enemies are reconciled. At the cross, injustice is rectified. At the cross, the spirit is commissioned. At the cross, wounds are healed. The power of God. Dear friends, do you want to know God? Do you want to experience God's power in your life? This is the place to look. Oh, and did you notice? The face is black. Not to suggest that Jesus was, in his earthly existence, an African-American, nor is he a Nordic Viking, by the way, as so many of our <laughs> paintings seem to imply. No, Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. But on September 15th, 1963, the wound in the world was black. This is the faith, face of Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson. Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair. This is the face of their families, of their church, and of that sad and sorry city in 1963. This is a face of God's love for them. This is the face of a God who stands with us when we are wounded. This is also the face of love for those who killed them. You do it to me the window says in large letters. Every night, Birmingham, Alabama, by the way, a city that had so many bombings between 1962 and 1945, 50 bombings of African-Americans that it took the name among the African-American community, Bombingham. And every night, four men, white men are at least, are walking by that window and as they hear the singing inside the church and the light streams forth, it is a black face of Jesus shining in their pathway that indicts them saying, you did it to me. You did it to me. And my death, my disfiguring death, the death of shame and outer darkness is the death that you would have coming apart from me. No, but God loves them as well. He's wounded to heal 
them and even me and you. If we turn to the cross, we are healed. This is what the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, and it's worth looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He says, the message about the cross, not just the cross itself, but the message about the cross. That literally is the word of the cross, the logos of the cross. It is the power of God in our life. It unleashes the power of God. Just the word of the cross releases God's power in our lives, releases God's power in the world. It saves us. And the reason for that is, it's here and only here that as Karl Barth says, that the judge was judged in our place. Bart writes, God overcomes the wounds of the world as a man in our place by treading the way of sinners to its bitter end in death, in destruction, in the limitless anguish of separation from God. We can say, indeed, that he fulfills this judgment by suffering the punishment which we have all brought on ourselves. A world that wounds itself only finds healing in a God who wounds himself. The judge allows himself to be judged. I know it's hard to understand. It's hard for me to explain. I try to do it every week. But this is where the power is found. It's the wound in God that heals our lives. Let's lift our eyes up to the cross this Lent. Let's meditate. Let's pray on the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience his power? This is the place to look. And I don't know how this works, but this is the way I imagine it, that somewhere in eternity a phone rings and there's a voice. Three hours, the phone hangs up. It was God in a garden called Gethsemane. The voice was weak. And then three days of darkness over which death rules, a grave above which Satan dances and darkness triumphs, and then boom. When the dust clears, friends are talking. This will be a gift from all of us, they say. The son has given his life. The father has raised him from the dead. And the spirit lifts up our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ, the most important historical event that has ever happened. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Let's pray. We do not despise the shame, for it's in the shame that we meet our Savior. Thank you for coming to such depths in order to lift us to such height. We marvel. It's here that our hearts are broken and inflamed with love for you. We pray, O oh God, that you'd pour fresh measure of your spirit into our hearts, our lives, our city, our world, this Lenten season. May it be to us like no other as you release the power of God into our lives through the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.